It is Locked on Jazz for the 26th of January. Dame goes off. What could have been done? Is the drop big issue rearing its head again with a new center? Should have the Jazz doubled more? What should have they done to slow down a historic performance? And the world, according to Hardy, two super interesting quotes from Will this week about his philosophy of coaching the team. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available to you on all podcast apps as well as on YouTube. Please join us and subscribe. Be a part of Locked on Jazz. Follow the show. Hit the little bell to let us know that you are uh, on the YouTube so that you can be notified whenever we have an episode and are going to hang out together and be a part of something. Uh, Dame Lillard was awesome last night. The Jazz were not, quite honestly. And the Blazers beat Utah last night uh, one 34, 124, Dame Lillard, 60. Uh, I've seen 60 twice in my life in person. The other one was an exhibition. It was Kobe's final game. Uh, That was pretty incredible. 60 on 29 shots, uh, 60 with seven rebounds, eight assists, 60 with only 10 free throws. Some Some aspects of this game had never been done before by a player in NBA history. Uh, and, you know, at some point here, when the league is at the level it's at, we have Luka coming in on Saturday, The you just start tipping your hat. Like, there is an element here now in this league where the rules, um, as well as the talent level and the depth of players' abilities shooting, are such that you actually can't, you don't slow this stuff down very well. Uh, You know, Luka is leading the league in scoring. And at least I watch every last nine minutes of every game that kind of goes into, that's close. He's doubled on every possession I ever see. And he's still scoring 30 a night. And frankly, doubling the ball 40 feet away from the basket is insane. I used a bad analogy last night on postcast, but it's actually probably right. It's literally like being on death row and deciding which you're choosing execution by a bullet or lethal injection. Like those are your two choices when you are suddenly confronted with a guy who's this hot and you're trying to stop him at, with a double at 40 feet because the NBA is way too good for you to be leaving guys four on three for the possession. So, but let's walk through last night. Let, let's address some of the things that are being, that I've heard talked about being mentioned that are thoughts on this. So number one, this is a sign of another drop big problem. Yeah, not so much. So first of all, Walker Kessler is actually only on the floor 
for six of Dame Lillard's 21 field goals. Now, Dame also adds in nine free throw attempts, so that's another five opportunities, and I and I don't know how many Kessler was involved in. Uh, I just went and rewatched Dame's 21 field goals this morning. So Dame's involved. Walker Kessler is only on the floor for six of the 21 field goals that Dame has last night. In fact, if you want a culprit in my mind, when we have Jared Vanderbilt on the floor, we play one through five switching, and I thought our defense was fairly horrific the minute we went to that. Um, That's what you have to play with Vando. Um, But it felt to me like we were pretty horrific. The data tells you that in the 20 minutes Walker Kessler was on the floor and the 26 minutes that Jared Vanderbilt was on the floor, our defense was virtually the exact same. So, um, and our plus minus was far better when Jared Vanderbilt was on the floor than Walker Kessler was on the floor last night. So, um, we could not score when Walker Kessler was on the floor last night. That was that was actually the problem. But so, Kessler, the drop big's not the problem. In fact... Of the field, six field goals that are scored when Walker Kessler's on the floor last night, the first two of the game are come in transition. He hits a three in transition. He goes coast to coast, just her, really like no fundamental transition defense at all in that possession. Those are the only two he scores in the first quarter with Walker on the floor. In the th- second quarter, he goes and takes advantage of Walker as a drop pick. He hits on a offen- uh, he hits on an offensive rebound kick out. That where they guard the pick and roll well. Then Walker, pick and roll with Walker. Uh, Walker drops to the top of the key. Dane pulls for three. Pick and roll going right to left. Walker drops to the top of the key. Dame hits three feet behind the line. Transition to, oh, so that's in the second quarter. Third quarter, transition Uh. Kessler's pretty late coming over to help. Lowry's awful. They, uh, he gets a baseline cut early in the third quarter that Walker doesn't have any involvement, but he's on the floor. An early offense off Eubanks where Walker's deep. Clarkson's all over the place. Literally ends up driving off the back of Clarkson because Clarkson gets spun around. And that's it. The whole second quarter explosion, Walker's not actually on the floor. Other than those three field goals, that that's it. So, I think I said, I think I said six. Re looking at my numbers, I think it's actually seven of the twenty-one field goals. He's on the floor for Walker. The drop big is really two of the twenty-one field goals in the whole game. So the idea, the narrative that this is the drop big again, it's not really true. In fact, it's not until his his seventh field goal of the game that he scores off the drop pick. And he does it in his seventh and his eighth. Those are two. Uh, Maybe, maybe one other field goal in the game you can say is off the drop big where Walker's too far back. And honestly, Clarkson's defense was so horrific on that play where he anticipated, actually went face-to-face with the screener and ended up with... Uh, Lillard driving off his backside and Walker's back and he drives into Walker's body and scores a lip. So 21 field goals. I think three of them come off of the drop pick. Maybe three, two. So that narrative's not true. 
Should have doubled more. Okay. Sure. Sounds great. Awesome to throw out there. Factual? Highly debatable. Let's go through his first six field goals of the night. Because I think on the first six, you could have doubled maybe once. Transition three. Transition coast to coast. Now, your defense can be way better, but the idea that we were allowing this to happen and you weren't doubling, I don't think is accurate. Straight drive at the top from Sexton. Vando comes over to try to build a wall. He actually gets tripped up with Sexton. Lillard goes the other way. One-on-one drive on Clarkson. Vando could have come over to help. Offensive rebound, that's in the first quarter. Those are his four field goals of the first quarter. Second quarter, offensive rebound, kick out for a three. This is what gets him going. Offensive rebound, kick out to get a three. So of his, he's got six field goals at this point. On only one of those six do I think you could have doubled at a higher level than you did. Vando came over on the third one, and he maybe could have like run over on the fourth one early if you're just deciding that you're doubling him every possession from the get-go. Which, as I said, I really think is like literally walking down death row of NBA basketball. On the next two field goals, we're back to the drop. These are the next two drop picks. And at which point you have to decide that you're literally doubling with Walker Kessler at 35 feet on Nurkic. Nurkic rolls and then you're doubling at 35 feet and Nurkic has to make the play in the middle of the lane. Maybe. Fair. Never done it with Walker. Never never asked Walker to just full out, come out and blitz the ball. Um, and we probably could have done that. We probably could have quieted him just solely to stop Lillard late in the second quarter. The two high, the two pick and rolls, I mean, this would have been tough plays. One of them, he's coming right to left and he shakes it three feet behind the line. His last field goal of the first half is a step back over Beasley and Vando's like hanging around but non-impactful. And that's probably the bigger theme. We are just loose all night. And you could see it in a lot of Will's frustration. We'll dig, we'll dig into this a little bit more. We'll look at the second half, third quarter explosion. When should have the Jazz changed what they were doing in some capacity um, at that point? And overall, the Jazz performance last night as we continue today on Locked on Jazz. Locked on Jazz is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. Uh, really excited to have FanDuel as our new sponsor of Locked on. The new official sports book of Locked On. They are the number one sports book in America, and now they are the official sports book of Locked On. That's pretty great. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better for you because we have something for our group. Uh, they have so many great features, and they make sports betting fun and easy. This will make it fun and easy too. Place your first five dollar bet, and you get a $150 in free bets guaranteed. <laughs> Sign up at fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. Fanduel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance for a bigger payout with same day parlay. All the app, all on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So, football fans, this weekend, feel free to jump on the 
NFC and AFC championship games uh, and get involved. The the lines at FanDuel, Niners, are, Eagles are two and a half point favorite over the Niners. And the Cincinnati Bengals are a one point favorite in Kansas City. You can also build your anytime TV, TV score or parlay. It's all fun and games at FanDuel. This is the deal for you by being a part of Locked On. And that is $5 bet on $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. I want to mention a fun company or interesting company that's an opportunity for you if you live, uh, actually, if you live anywhere. If you're working for a company right now and you're, um, and, and, you, and you look at the company, you're like, you know, I think I can do more with this than they are. The owners might be in a different spot. The owners are ready to kind of cash out. Well, when one of the companies invested in Lockdown is a group called Summit Cap, Summit Capital uh, out of Utah County. Um, and they're, you know, just really good people. David and Matt um, and, and Jeff down there. Uh, all, all just good people. We, we really had a good experience with them. Well, they're looking for people right now who are company uh, is maybe at the state I just talked about. You're working for the company. You don't have the money, the equity to, to, to buy out the owner. Well, they're going to provide you that money. And unlike private equity or venture capitals, they're not giving you artificial timelines or horizons for investing. They invest long-term. They invest in all types of structures, including debt and equity. They're entrepreneurs themselves. That was clear when I was dealing with David and Matt and Jeff. They're just good people. And they're there to help you get that next step. And for them to do well, because you're going to do well. So if you're this fits you, contact Matt at 801-796-2033. That's 801-796-2033. Or locked on, email LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com or click on the contact at SummitCapUtah.com. At Summit Capital, give Matt a call, 801-796-2033. You're also always welcome to just reach out to me directly on that one if you need to. All right, so... Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available for you on all of your podcasting platforms. Glad to be there for you. Glad to have you involved. Glad to have the community that we have that you're a part of each and every day. Um, could have we doubled more? So we let's say at halftime you make the double adjustment. Here's the third quarter, and then he goes, this is when he goes bananas. Um, and we're just loose. Honestly, the story all night is we're loose all night. We're not, there's a lack of attention to detail by the Jazz all night last night. And they got beat by a guy going crazy. Their offense, the Jazz offense last night was as good as it's been probably in any game all season long. Um, so the first field goal of the second half is transition. Lowry and Kessler are not very good. Like they're just, Lowry gets blown by, Kessler doesn't come to help. Like, Kessler just kind of goes to where he's supposed to go, doesn't, could have probably cut off the lane a little bit. Lowry just gets blown by. Um, his next one, I love my notes here. Oh, I, I'm reading it as Boston cut faster over Conley. Baseline cut, fader over Conley. That's like, gotta love the notes. This was just a good play. He just cuts baseline off ball, catches, fades back. There's no double, nothing you could have done. There's no double you could have done on the first transition. Uh, his next one's early off Eubanks. Clarkson just awful at the point of the attack. We're talk, we've talked about that early. Clarkson gets his back to the basket. He's just 
He's just kind of ridiculous. Um, they run, the next play they run is, I think they now start to anticipate doubles. And and then give Chauncey some credit, because in late game stuff, I've given Chauncey a lack of credit. They run what's called, what I call a squeeze pick and roll. It's, it's where you've got both guys up top at about 35 feet, setting a pick on either side. It's super hard to double out of. He comes off and he gets Lowry switched on him. And then Clarkson comes for a double super late. And he and Lillard buries uh, Lowry on a drive. So now they know the double's coming. And they start to move Lillard around. That last one is also, I think, a good example of where we just weren't very good. Like, we just haven't doubled a lot. And it was as though our guys were a little uncertain of when to go how to go, and what vigor to go with. Um, because Lowry gets isolated on that one, and Clarkson comes over. But he, By the time he comes over, Lillard's gone. The then they move Lillard. They then move him to mid-block left for a bunch of his stuff. And he catches on the left wing, and he straightens up, and he just blows by Sexton. Like, the point of attack, ball defense, was horrendous. By... Lowry, Clarkson, Conley, Sexton. Surprisingly, not a lot of Conley in here. Was noticeable to me that when I when I wrote down on my notes of the 21 field goals he scored, I didn't have a lot of Mike Conley mentions. Maybe some more on the fouls. So if you're trying to double to open up the third quarter, where okay, we should have doubled more. You're not doubling when transition where he gets Lowry. You're not doubling on the baseline cut. You're not doubling on the early action off Eubanks, unless you're literally standing at half court waiting for him, which is ridiculous. You're not able to double off the squeeze pick and roll. We did it. We just did it late and not very efficiently. On the baseline drive on the left wing, they, they space the floor so you can't. His next one's a transition step back over Vando. His next one is from Salem. So he's actually... Six, seven field goals deep into the third quarter. And I, I I got maybe one play where you could have doubled. Then he drives on Vando and just beats him. And Ojai is caught on a switch. This is when we're in our switching defense. And Ojai is just too obsessed with Eubanks and doesn't cut off the driving lane. And now we're through three quarters and he is cooking. Fourth quarter, he walks into a three. He's walking into a three. You're not, unless you're doubling at 40 feet when he walks in. We're back to the baseline now because they they know the double's coming. Talon comes with a double and he fades back on the left side and just beats it. And then we double twice. We actually literally get doubles on him on his 20 and his 21st field goals. And he just beats both of them. He just beats them both, left hand. So I'm not sure I'm going with any of the narratives here that there's the drop big came to bite us again. We should have doubled and got the ball out of his hands more. We didn't react fast enough. We didn't make adjustments. The stupid thing, coaches don't make adjustments. Like, they, of course, make adjustments. I honestly just think we were really loose all night. And you saw it with 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 Sexton and um, uh, Vanderbilt ending up in the wrong spot on a play that they walked through a shoot-around coming out of a timeout. Uh, and... W- Will have to call a timeout 12 seconds in. Will called more animated, frustrated timeouts last night than any game all season. He called a timeout. I, I'm actually not sure what he was mad about when I rewatched the game. I, did, I couldn't, I didn't know enough to see it. He called a timeout in which he literally 
the way it works in a timeout usually is you call timeout and the coaches go and circle up and then you go back in to meet the coaches. He literally grabbed the clipboard from Lamar Skeeter, jazz assistant, sat down in his chair with empty bench, just sat there waiting for them to come. Waiting for them to sit down uh, so that he could dig in. You know, he called a timeout 12 seconds after calling a timeout when we did not execute or run a play correctly. There, there were there was more visible frustration from Will Hardy last night than there has been in in previous games. I, I don't know if we were I, it felt as though on the defensive end and focus wise we were particularly loose. It is worth mentioning we were particularly good offensively. The tragedy of last night is how good we were offensively and how. We didn't get to take advantage. We had a 125 offensive rating, which is in the 83rd percentile. We shot out of it. We were 20 of 41 on threes. We had another double-digit night of corner threes, which is great. We had 12. We allowed eight, which is a lot, and we allowed 40 shots at the rim. Going into the game, one of the first things I mentioned on the broadcast was that the Jazz had become a way better team recently at not allowing shots at the rim and not allowing shots as threes. And nothing turned out to be further from the truth last night. The Jazz had not allowed a team, had only allowed one of their previous seven opponents to take 27 or more shots at the rim. They allowed 40 last night. They had allowed five or fewer corner threes, I think, in six of their last, let's see, let me just do it. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of their last seven. Seven of their last... 11 games, they had allowed five or fewer corner threes. So last night, they allowed eight corner threes and 40 shots at the rim. I mean, that is just off. Just way off. But offensively, we were great. Here's a stunning number for you. The Portland Trailblazers offense in the second quarter, they scored 47 points, the third most ever allowed by the Jazz in a quarter. Their offensive rating was a 188. It means that when they crossed half court, they averaged 1.8 points every time they crossed half court. Um, in the seven minutes Lowry Marketing was on the floor, their offensive rating was a 207. In the six minutes Jared Vanderbilt was on the floor, their offensive rating was a 200. That means they were scoring two points of possession. That's just not good. That's just not getting it done. That's where the game slipped away. Was just overall there, and it you know I think that's that you know we we didn't we tightened the screws. We got to a one forty four in the third, and you know Lillard's going off at that point in this insane level, and a one twenty eight in the fourth, added down to five with five to play, and then honestly the three play sequence of the game that has absolutely nothing to do with Dame, is probably the three play sequence that to me jumps out more than any other in this game. So for all the talk of Dame, if you really want my thought on, on where the night goes awry, is we go to the fourth quarter, there's five minutes left, we've cut the game down, we have a chance. And the defense just completely collapses with three straight dunks. So with five minutes left, Markinen gets a tip in, it's 115-108, we're within seven. Lillard's or Simons is at the top and comes off a Eubanks pick. This is like sums up the night to me. Sexton's guarding Lillard. Lillard's not involved in this play. Eubanks sends a pick. Lowry goes to double. 
Now, I don't have any idea if we're doubling Anthony Simons at this point also, but we do it. Malik Beasley is in the left corner hugging Jeremy Grant, and Jordan Clarkson's on the stride, strong side corner, which you don't usually leave. So, But Malik Beasley doesn't make the slightest move to Drew Eubanks, who slips the, out of the double. So either Lowry Markkinen went on a rogue trip of double-teaming Anthony Simons thinking it was Damian Lillard, and Malik Beasley was like, what the hell's going on, and had no idea, or... Malik Beasley just was completely asleep and they didn't, and Eubanks dunks. Okay, one of the two, I have no idea which, but it's one of the two. The next possession, again, Dame Lillard's not involved. It's an early offense drive. Simons just blows by Taylor Horton Tucker, who tries to play transition defense at 24 feet on the right side. Clarkson gives horrendous help, and Lowry Markkinen comes over to help, and Jeremy Grant slides off the baseline for a slam dunk. Just a wide open, like, Horton Tucker's closeout was just not good. Next possession, after a turnover, and our offense, that's part of the problem. Sexton drives the line, Lane turns it over. They're now on the run. They get in the middle of the floor. They go right wing. Markkinen does a nice job of cutting it off. They skip it out to the wing to Simons. Horton Tucker has a really poor closeout on Simons. No one is behind him, and Simons goes to the rim for a dunk. Now, closing out on an island on... Anthony Simons is not a great place for Taylor Horton Tucker to be. So even in a good closeout, I'm not sure that I think he's got a great chances there. But those are actually the three plays to me that cost the game. The world, according to Will Hardy, two super interesting quotes from Will Hardy in his last uh, two press conferences. I'll share those when we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Locked on Jazz is your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. You can be a part of this group and... Join us each and every day, 30 minutes or thereabouts, uh, each and every day for you, and you can be a part of our biggest jazz group out there. Feel free to follow on YouTube, subscribe on your podcast app, uh, and join us and be a part of our group. Uh, For your second listen today, Game to Game is the nightly recap of all things going on in the NBA. Um, Will Hardy's had two really interesting quotes recently. One is he was talking about you know, that Jordan Clarkson's actually, and I thought Clarkson was way out of his his realm last night. Um, just so frustrated. Um, and that is that when you go to the arena, he was talking really about Will Jordan Clarkson and Walker Kessler, two guys who are particularly hard on themselves. When you're driving to the arena in a night as a player, and, and I was, I've, I heard this as something for my kids, frankly. Um, you've got to know that a bunch of stuff's going to go wrong. Someone's going to score on you. You're going to throw a bad pass. You're going to take a bad shot and miss. You're going to get caught in the air and turn it over. Like, those are the things that are going to happen. And when they happen, as a player, you need to be prepared to say, okay, I was prepared for that. I knew that was coming. Now move on. And not get beat yourself up and get overly disappointed and, and tear yourself up about it. And I thought it was an interesting perspective. We all talk about positive thought and you know, and visualize the positive and all this. Well, this one's like, okay, accept that you're not perfect, the game's not perfect, and things won't go perfectly. I'm probably not great about this as a broadcaster. I get super upset every time I do something wrong, we do something wrong on the broadcast. Like, I get super upset. You know, it's an imperfect game. Like, I missed the call in Sacramento and Kevin Herter's three, missed one word in the whole call, and in my mind screwed up the entire call um, in Sacramento and, like, just literally didn't sleep for hours. 
um, and just was just pissed for 24 hours. And then the next night we had another close game and something technically went wrong. And I like, you know, just couldn't have been more upset. Probably should be like, okay, it's going to be imperfect. Like do know that it's going to be imperfect, expect imperfection, and then do the best you can when you get imperfection. I, I thought it was a really, really interesting um, insight into how Will kind of views this. Um, and also how, as we have fans, watch a game, we're like, oh my gosh, and Will's probably like, okay, well, there's our moment of imperfection. Now just keep playing forward, which is an old Jerry Sloan quote. Um, the second one was last night. He was talking about something he's never understood about the NBA. I love this. Was that we look at these players all the time and we say to ourselves, um, what it, you know, and, and it'll, it says, you, you'll find yourself all the time with talking about players and you'll be saying, well, he doesn't complain, sitting around complaining that they don't do this well. X, okay? Player X doesn't make reads out of the pick and roll well. Then you'll go put them in the pick and roll. They'll make bad reads. And then you'll finish the game afterwards, sit around and complain about how the player made bad reads in the pick and roll. And he says, it's always been like the silliest thing that I think is, you know, that I ever hear is the idea that you end up with, you know, these guys, you complain about someone that can't do something, ask them to do it. Then when they don't do it well, you complain again. And it, his point was any player who's actually in the NBA is wildly talented or else they wouldn't be in the NBA. So what is the talent and skill that got them to where they are and got them into the league and has them playing right now? And let's go find as many ways as we can exploit that talent and use that talent on a nightly basis like if i spot Taylor horton tucker up as a spot up three-point shooter and then he goes one of five and i complain about it that's on me can i let Taylor horton drive to the basket use his long arms defensively use his physicality try to find the way in which he's most valuable right colin sexton has a dynamic awesome first step how do we use colin sexton's first step to be great colin's Ability to read and make decisions is not his strength. It's an interest. It's a. It's a really was an interesting. Those two things to me were really interesting kind of insight into Will Hardy and the way he views it. First, the idea that the game's not perfect, and you shouldn't be expecting the perfect night. And if you're Walker Kessler and you're Jordan Clarkson, you're coming to the arena expecting that kind of perfection. That's the wrong approach. You should be expecting to make errors and have mistakes, and things are going to go wrong. Uh, I'm going to give the quote to my daughter, who's a golfer. Like, hey, the ball's going to be in the rough. You're going to be in the trees at some point in time. You're going to miss a putt. Like, that's the reality. How you deal with those moments in time and how you move to the next one and say, oh, well, I expected this. I knew this was going to happen today. I'm okay, is more important. And then the second one is, you know, if you're in a college golf tournament or if you're in a NBA game, you have some unbelievably great skills to be there. So let's exploit those skills. Let's put you in a position where those skills are used and we can use you at your highest level. I thought it was really cool. All right. That is Locked on Jazz today. Dallas, Luca coming to town. Tomorrow's an Ask LOJ edition. So we'll get it out. I'll send out some tweets. Send me your questions. We'll also do points gained, which we haven't done in a little while. Um, so I look forward to hearing from you. You guys are always so great. Uh, this group is so awesome on uh, Ask LOJ. So I look forward to it. Thanks very much for tuning in today. Hope you... That was pretty awesome last night. Like, hey, I like to win too. That was pretty awesome. You don't see that very often. Twice in my life have I ever seen someone score 60 and the other one was an exhibition. That was pretty incredible. Uh, it's only happened in jazz history. Uh, George Kervin scored 63 against the Jazz. Kobe scored 60. Dame Lillard scored 60. And Carl Malone has scored 61. That That's it in jazz history. It's only happened four times. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of two of them. I, I am beginning to get to this moment. There's only one player in the history of the 
NBA who's ever scored 50 or more on the Jazz three times. It's Dame. I've been fortunate enough to see all three of them. Kobe had done it twice. I did one of the two Kobe 50s against the Jazz. Um, you know, it, it, every now and then, the greatness of this league bubbles to the top and you get to watch it. And that's what happened to us last night. It is Locked on Jazz. Thanks so much for being a part of this group. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow.